Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Welcome to week 11 of the NFL season. The Run to Daylight variety show is back after taking our bye last week. Uh, it was a real interesting week. I was very live in DFS heading into the second half of the Giants-San Francisco game. And unfortunately, I had way more Giants than I did Niners and... Uh, so I ended up a little in the negative. So uh, anyway, uh, hoping for better tomorrow. And I'll be joined in a minute by my regular starting host, Sal. Uh, why don't we get his music uh, lined up and we'll, we'll, we'll get Sal in here. And uh, not sure what he wants to talk about, but uh buddy how's it going good i uh have to report that this is not sal Lito. what i am ff couch coach uh, so it's uh it's basically a hostile takeover um all kidding all right, aside man, sal have, couldn't make it this week sal we couldn't, couldn't make it, it you this know why week. I, I was listening to no, that what? latest Falafel House podcast, and uh, I heard that he couldn't make a, you know, he couldn't make ends meet anymore because he's got to pay that tab on his kid's volleyball traveling team. Um, so my heart goes out to you, buddy. I know what it is to be a parent, and uh, we hope to hear you back next week. But until yeah. then, I'll, uh, I'll do what I can to sell some shoes. <laughs> well, I uh, I had some setbacks this week uh, with Amazon being very predatory and trying to drive everyone out of my business. So uh, oh, it, it, it might not be much but coal in my stockings this year, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. It's uh, still uh, time for uh, prayers to work, and uh, hopefully it will. But, uh, yeah, we knew Sal wouldn't be here, but we thought it would be kind of funny to act like he was and then do the little bit we just did know, because that's what yeah, I, I do. Yeah, had him. What do you think? Uh, you sounded a little like him. You almost had me. I actually <laughs> yeah, looked well, I to see you. if somehow I gotta tell you. Sal slipped in. <laughs> I don't. I, it was probably the worst Sal ever, and I'm I, I'm apologetic. And uh, 
I think it's time to move on. What do you think? <laughs> He's from Long Island. You're from Jersey, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we're practically Where in neighbors. Jo- Where in Jersey? Uh, I am in Gloucester County, Jersey. I'm like 15 minutes from Philly. So, you know, I'm practically, yeah. I, when, I, when, when people ask me, say, if I go skiing, if I'm like, I'm up in the Poconos skiing or whatever, people ask me for where I'm from. I just say Jersey area or Philly area, you know, everybody's a uh, Eagles fan around here. So that's, that's where, where, how about you? Who, who's your team, Todd? I'm a giant fan. I grew up, uh, in, uh, oh, North boy. central Jersey and, I feel for uh, you, but uh, I live in the Lehigh Valley now, and uh, you got a lot more Eagles fans here than Giants fans. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think yeah, anyone – I mean, yeah. even my mom. I just moved my mom into a nursing home. My mom was as much to do with me becoming a football fan as my dad, uh, a lifelong Giant fan. Unfortunately, she had to go into a nursing home, and she can't figure out the fire stick. And to to use my oh, direct TV to watch uh, the the Giants live, so she's been watching the Eagles, and she said to me, "I'm I'm an Eagles fan too now." Yeah. Um, well, you, you know, know they're seven it's and went, one. Man. It's that went, yep. man. It's the went. He's a good kid. You know, he's, a, he's 24 he, yeah. years old. He's just a role model out there. When you got other guys out there, just not being so role model esque, if you know what I mean. Well, that's that's a bigger subject, but not the one that we wanted to tackle this week. You, you mentioned exactly. to me that you wanted to do um, our segment on trade deadlines in fantasy football, and I'm going to give you the floor and get your thoughts on it, and then we'll see if we align. Yeah, man. I um, I tweeted out earlier, and uh, anybody who wants to interact with me on Twitter, it's at uh, FFCouchCoach. Um, I tweeted out earlier that, like, I, I think that, uh, and I'm talking. Wait, wait, wait where are we? Where are you on Twitter? At FF Couch Coach. Excellent, excellent. And you have a website too, right? Yeah, yeah. That that, that thing needs a little bit of TLC. I need to get back on the horse with that thing. But uh, yeah, I'm most active right now on Twitter, just because you know how it is, man. Real life gets in the way, and yeah, such is life. But, um, well, you're more I, uh, you're more of a dynasty guy, so I've always noticed that you're yeah, yeah. more active with your website right after football season than you are during. Well, it's tough. Yeah, that's the thing, man. It's tough because uh, for the longest time, I started my website back in 2014. Uh, for anybody who's curious, it's ffcouchcoach.com. Um, I started it back in 2014, uh, just you know, as a Twitter thing, and I was tweeting out, and uh, I just had more to say than just 140 characters. Well. Lo and behold, before you know it, I started uh, accruing writers uh, to, to the team, uh, Team FFCC. I, actually, you were uh, one of those guys uh, at one time. Um, I never I, uh, thought about so, writing until you asked me if I wanted to give it a yeah, try. Man. So I, I, I will active. always I you remember had something you to say. Absolutely, buddy. Now people can't shut me the F up. I thought, well, you know, it, I saw where – you were active on Twitter and you were interacting with certain people of note in the industry. And I saw that you had something to say pretty much every time something uh, came up. So I just decided to approach you and see if you wanted a platform to, to speak your mind. Uh, that's pretty much what FF Couch Coach is. I'm all about the analytics, but that's only because I've learned things from people in the industry. So uh, for me, it's, I'm more of a couch coach where I see it. I 
see it, and that's what I believe. Or, or the fact that like I'm the one that listens to 50 podcasts in a week at any given time. So I appreciate the fact that other people don't have the time to listen to all those podcasts. Well, I'm the guy that can figure that out for you, and you know, just kind of you know, uh, siphon out the noise a little bit. But uh, getting back to the trade uh, deadline thing with Dynasty, for me, uh, I think that Dynasty, the the whole the whole thing that makes Dynasty popular is the fact that it never ends dynasty it never ends it's never over the the fantasy football you get to you get to do it all year round that's fabulous that's amazing but the only thing that sucks todd is the fact that when you're in a dynasty league and you happen to have uh, a team that that falls to the wayside and your record is two and seven by the time week uh, 14 rolls around you know that you're now out of the playoffs or maybe maybe two and seven is a bad uh, a bad example, but the point is, is that the people that are eliminated, the bottom half of that uh, that league, they're they're no longer interested in that league. So for X amount of weeks, whenever your trade le- deadline ends, after that week is over, they don't care. They they're not they're not going to be active. They may set their de- uh, their 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 uh, their lineups just to, to be loyal to the league. But don't you think it would be so much more fun for that league in general if that bottom half uh, of the league mates whether it's a 12 uh, team uh 12 team league 10 team league doesn't matter the the bottom half now you all of a sudden they're they're active because now all of a sudden you can go out there and if you have a two and seven team and you have larry fitzgerald on your roster well larry fitzgerald was just signed to a to a con- one-year contact contract extension to, uh, by the by the cardinals and uh he is on fire i mean he's still his old larry fitzgerald self so me, if I'm a contender and I'm in the playoffs, I would want to buy him. But maybe, maybe that guy that was going to sell him wasn't ready to sell him at. Maybe he wasn't two and seven. Maybe, maybe right now, a perfect example. I have another team that's five and five. Well, if I have assets, I'm holding on to those people because the rest of my division it, it's neck and neck. It is not decided yet, so I'm still very much in it. But the problem is, is that by the time my fate is decided, and if I do get knocked out in another two weeks. That deadline has already passed. So what am I supposed to do here? Do I hold on to the assets that could help me in my playoff push if I actually squeak into the playoffs? Or do I sell them preemptively uh, trying to profit off of that guy that some, to somebody who might go into the playoffs or is already into the playoffs? Uh, I and, like the and, idea and it, of – It really yeah. gets into a deeper question, right? And, sure. you know, I'm a big trader. I've always been a big trader. And it's I fun, think right? that – I think that it what well, you know, what I like about trading is the rest of fantasy football is set up to be even. If you have a draft, you, you know, it's it's you, you get a pick every 12 to whatever, you know, you get mm-hmm. everyone has an even shot at draft picks, you know, based, you know, and if it's a startup draft, it's serpentine, if not it's based on your finish, but it's all set up even. Same thing with blind exactly. bidding. Blind bidding, it's all mm-hmm. even, right? Exactly. Start, sit, there's the same information is out there for everyone. Waivers, uh, you know, exactly. Pick, pick, a, pick a website. You know, I, I consider that like NASCAR, how they uh, have these things on the car that keep them from going too fast. Uh, that's what the rest of fantasy football is. Trading is the one th- the one place where you it, you really have no limitations. So what I find is that people who aren't good at trading but want to be competitive at fantasy football 
tend to come up with all sorts of rules to limit the good trader from maximizing that opportunity. So whether it's a trade committee, whether it's a deadline, you know, and, and we can argue the merits of deadlines. I don't like them in Dynasty because, you know, it's an even playing field. If you want to win this year, you're going to have to belly up to the bar and, and trade to, yeah. to get to the, exactly. over the finish line. Because if you're not going to, I'm going yeah. to. Now, I'm not going to make exactly. reckless trades, and, but I'm going to be trying the until the last moment to, to get first place that's... and to get that cash. So Thank you. Um, you know, I'm going to kick this back to you in a second, but what I'm sure. saying here is it, it, it basically comes down to a bigger subject, and it really depends on, especially on your commissioner and hit, whether he's a good trader, bad trader, or, you know, something in between and how fair your commissioner is. I personally will never join a league that has bad trading habits. No, I agree. And uh, so somebody on the opposite end of the argument, and it doesn't even need to be an argument because really there is no right or wrong. People have been programmed to think that there's only one way to do it. And that's because that's the way all professional sports have it. Uh, There's a trade deadline. And I get it. There's a reason for it. You don't want the Yankees going out and purchasing the best players available uh, when they happen to go into the World Series. But we're talking about fantasy football here. It's fun. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm if I'm in a fantasy football league and I happen to be one of the people that are in the bottom end, I already I, I paid a buy-in too. I paid just as much as that guy that's in first place, so I should have the right to be able to have fun right up until the end of the season, just like that guy. The only way for that to happen is if I can be involved in trades. I understand that it, that can't really be possible with redraft unless it's a keeper league. Now. It, that's a different story with redraft. It's not really that too possible because it's not fair, but dynasty it's absolutely fair because when you're talking about that top end guy, his possibility of winning when he enters a Super Bowl, you, you got to ask yourself, how important is that title to you? Do you really want to win? All right, well you better pony up. It, it's time. It's time to pay the piper. It's time to purchase that David Johnson. You know, obviously I'm talking about the guy that not this year. who uh, it's just an example. I, I the know, point yeah. is that, it, other other guys would say that oh well that's not fair because he bought that player and blah blah blah. Well, how come you didn't do it? You know, and and why is that any different than than uh, pre uh, pre week thirteen? You understand what I'm saying? Like if it's fair in week in week twelve, then why wouldn't it be fair in week fourteen? If it's a fair playing ground for everybody else and everybody has a fair opportunity, fair and square to do the same thing, then I don't see why there why, why there should be any argument whatsoever. Now, yeah. I mean, so you know, what I, it comes what it comes down to basically is in redraft, you want a, a, a deadline because there's no real reason for those bottom dwellers to trade because they're out of it, right? So exactly, it, exactly. It, it opens up a can of worms. But in dynasty, if you're out of it, you you need to, especially if you have older veterans, you have to you know, weigh the value of those veterans and the trade offers that you get and try and improve your team to go forward. And, you know, again, it comes back down to the fact of, you know, are people who aren't good traders trying to limit the upside of people who are good traders because they don't want to, 
you know, it, it would be look, I'd be frustrated too if I wasn't a good trader and I was in first place yeah. and all of a sudden I mean, the second place teams started getting all these good players. Sure. I, I mean, it might be a little presumptuous to assume that. And that can be that very well can be the case for some people who who commission that way. But the thing I think that their number one argument as the opposition, they would say is, well, we want to make sure that there's no collusion. Well, I think that if if you're in a league with a person that would be a colluder, then you have much bigger problems to begin with. That has nothing to do with that trade deadline. You need That's to get rid exactly of that. That's exactly how I feel. That's yeah, exactly it, how it, I feel. It, 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 it has no, I, I it believe has no that the problem the I believe that the problem is bad owners, not good owners. Yes. I believe the yes. problem it's, is bad traders, not good traders. And when I when I commission a league, and I, I did simulation football for uh, ten years as a commissioner, and we had twenty eight teams in that league, and we would lose five six owners every year. I would, in, hey. you know, there's that there's that instinct to just want to get someone. I would interview people and I would talk to them about their strategy and their philosophy yeah. and how do you rate this player and that player. You need to just not fill an opening. You need to make sure that you're bringing someone into your league who's not a fish yes. because that's when it turns into, you know, the the, the sharks eating well, the, the, the the minnows and and that that team is bad for five years. It, it can be, yeah. And but okay, so perfect example for that. I we ha- I have a league, it's a dynasty league that I started back in 2014. All of my friends, we that was my, actually my first year of dynasty. We all started the same season. Uh, we all learned together. Blah blah blah. Um, fast forward a couple of years, uh, somebody left the league. And we brought in this new guy. He is what you would just call the fish, right? Um, he never played Dynasty before. He's always played redraft. Well, obviously, I went after him. I went after him hard. I got a lot of his assets. And, and people would come to me like, dude, you're ruining the league, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no. Like, I used to suck just like he did. I made the bad trades just like he did. And then I listed off all these players that I went through that I drafted and I traded. And I gave away for nothing. And there's only one goddamn way that you're going to learn, Todd. That's it. It's by making those mistakes. So, like, and it's, some it's, people it's, never it's, learn, and that's when you need to get rid of them. And, and that's, that's and, and normally and that's, and those that's guys. Kid, that's the kid that normally get a those guys for leave the league. <laughs> normally, those guys leave the league when it becomes apparent that they've got no assets left. So that's again why on the front end. I interview people and make exactly. sure that I'm bringing someone in who can swim with the sharks in the league because yep. once they're in the league, nothing they're good in. is going to come from it. And then, the, and then exactly. you're going to have trouble finding someone to replace that owner who quits because his team is terrible. Yeah. I mean, some people get a kick out of it. I mean, you know, I, there, 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 there are certain people who, like taking on that kind of a challenge. Maybe they don't want to do a startup this year. Maybe they just want to do an orphan team where they take it over and they see if they can flip it. And, and, and it takes, sometimes it takes a couple of years, the challenge, you know, uh, I just think, and, and, but that's a perfect, that's a perfect example. Okay. Say, say, this is a great example. I'm so glad we brought this up. So say this is, a, I, I take over an orphan team, this orphan team, it's a quote unquote orphan team. Okay. So it's got, it's got just a bunch of old guys on it. It's got like a Matt Forte, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, just the, the older guys in the league that 
um, people will not pay for in the off season, right? I mean, once the season is over, and we, we're talking February and trading is open again, or whenever it opens back up in off season, you're not going to get top dollar for that for that player because people are people are, are, are rookie crazed at that time. They're 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 all about the rookies. It's a, all, the only thing that matters is the picks, right? So you're never going to be able to move that Larry Fitzgerald, and that's not fair. It's not fair because just just a month and a half ago, he was he was red hot, and now that 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 was when he was at his peak value. If this were stock, I mean, you would want to sell, sell, sell. If that guy was in that Super Bowl and he's about to enter that game and he's looking at his roster and he goes, "Man, you know what? I could really use that 20 points that I think Fitz is going to put up." He's going to pony up, and you know what? Right now, you might be able to get a second round pick for Fitz. But I, I guarantee if somebody's going into the Super Bowl and, and they're looking at their roster, they might, they might give you a, a late first. And, and that's not a possibility in the offseason. Right, season. but in two and months, I, I just think that it adds Fitz a whole is only going to be worth a fifth. In, in two months, exactly. Fitz is only going to be exactly. worth a fourth. So, that's the point. You know, it and it's really all about timing. Come. So why not be able to why, just take off my handcuffs? Let me play. Let me have fun. This is a game we're talking about. You know, and I, it just because it's the standard. Now, the standard wasn't always dynasty, but it's starting to come, become that way. I think that we need to evolve the game of dynasty because it's a, it's a variation of redraft. Redraft is how it all started. We just need to change it because dynasty is the way it's going now. And if we can change, I just, I mean, obviously people are going to have it how they want to have it, but everything is so customizable these days that I think that people need to be open to the thought of have, not having a trade uh, deadline because it's, it, it, to me it just sounds so much more fun. I mean, I, I'm, I, there, there's a team right now that is in my, one of my other leagues. They're at the bottom. And, again, they would be crazy to make this move. But he's, he's the worst team in the league. Um, he's got Corey Davis. Now, I'm going to be in the playoffs. I would love right now because Corey Davis hasn't really done much, you know, to make a move for him. But the trade deadline has already passed in that specific league. So I can't do anything. Now, again, he would be an insane person to sell Corey Davis because next year he'll have the number one overall pick. And then I'll have Corey Davis on top of that, obviously. But the point is, is that now there's no possibility to even have a maybe, Uh, you know, there's no possibility whatsoever. And that just, that that removes the fun and we're doing this for fun. So, I mean, I I don't know. Well, Coach, coach, I, I think you made some great points. Um, it was a great subject. There's a lot more we could go into, but it is time for me to get to the mauler. Coach, thanks for right, stepping buddy. in for Sal this week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Sal. the show jay bach the motown mauler mauler how are you today uh, i'm a mess but uh i'm here yeah what's wrong man 70 hours in the gym this week uh i'm sore you know i feel uh the effects of getting older um you know the kids are beating up on me but you know basketball started this week and uh, the first couple weeks are tough until the games start, and uh, you know I'm you, feeling you the effects of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. 
And uh, so five days in, you know, like I said, between working and, and coaching 70 hours in the gym. So uh, I'm a mess, but I'm happy that it's fantasy time. Um, a couple of my buddies uh, got to talk a little fantasy today and football. And uh, I think we're ready to roll. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, how was uh, how was your bye week? Well, my bye week last week was good. I've been doing really well um, on NFL every Sunday. Um, you know, I love the the twenty max entry, and uh, I, I think I've only had one losing Sunday, and it was um, I think the one we split where it was like we still got back 37 on 60 or something. So it wasn't so terrible, but, uh, you know, that's life. Yep. 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 I, uh, and when you mean split, we played our own lineups. Um, uh, we just, uh, you know, yeah. We're, so, uh, uh, all right, let's, uh, it, I think it'll help if I switch from my NBA models to my NFL models. Uh, who do you like at quarterback this week? Well, speaking of NBA models, ours looks pretty good today. We need some Collie Stein and some Temple and Hill in the late games, and we could have some big stuff brewing. But uh, top quarterback, you know, I have man love for Brady. Anytime he's on our slate, um, he's my first choice, 7,400. Uh, in Mexico City, against probably the slowest and biggest uh, cornerbacks in the league. <laughs> I, I just think he's going to go nuts I mean, tomorrow. Jeff. And, um, <laughs> he's going to go nuts tomorrow, and, and, you know, you need to have him. Uh, middle, I'm looking at uh, Derek Carr in that same game. I think Oakland's going to play catch-up. Uh, New England's uh, secondary isn't anything to write home about, so um, I like him at 6,400. And uh, I'm thankful I got to talk to my buddy Steve today because – he solidified my craziness for Eli Manning. Um, I liked Eli Manning all week, but it was like, um, you know, that, that kind of you don't want to tell anybody, the kind of secretive type thing. Um, but he brought it out of me today, so we kind of paired together a few Eli uh, lineups to see what they would look like. So he's my, you know, middle to lower value, but also contrarian play. I, I'm not sure he's going to be too highly owned tomorrow, even though, He's um, not you know, going Chiefs, to be. Yeah, yeah, and the Chiefs, you know, um, can give up some, some, some points to the air. So he's my, you know, mid to lower value uh, quarterback, but also contrarian. Yeah, I had – I was 60 points at halftime off first place in the Millie Maker with Eli, Shepard, Engram, Garrett Selleck, and Hyde. And, of course, it was the other half of that game that went nuts in the second half. So, um, yeah, I was a little, uh, a little toasted by Eli last week. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not feeling the, the same love you are. Uh, Brady is uh, my top guy with Alex Smith right there with him. Uh, so I'm going to go the other side of that game. And uh, I'm not sure how, you know, I might dial back my Alex Smith a little bit. Um, in the mid range, I like Kirk Cousins. Uh, I think that uh, Captain Kirk is, you know, we're dealing with a new reality where the Saints are a good defense. 
but it's still Coors Field, and I think Breeze is going to have pretty high ownership, and Kirk won't. And I, I just, uh, I just got a feeling about Kirk Cousins this week. So um, I, last week I could kick myself in the nuts again. I started with about 20% on Case Keenum, and I ended up with 3%. In fact, I won the Rotoviz. We do this challenge each week where we work with Fantasy Labs, and I had uh, Keenum and Thielen as my stack in that, in that uh, contest, and then in DFS I had, like, no Keenum. But I like Keenum again this week. I, I don't think that the Rams' defense is all that good. They're at home. He's got great receivers, 5,100. He is not going to, you know, people aren't going to think that lightning is going to strike twice. Um, I also like Ryan Fitzpatrick a little bit. And I threw in just a dab of Andy Dalton at 4,800. He's going to be zero to 1% owned. Pair him with AJ Green, maybe throw in Tyler Croft. Um, he doesn't need all that many points, uh, but if he does put up a 20, 25 point game and green goes ham, boy, you got a really low end stack. Um, that's not a Millie maker stack for me, but in the play action, I threw in a couple. Um, any thoughts on that Mauler? Yeah. I mean, there's a handful of guys down there around, you know, just under 5,000 that you can probably put one lineup in, in the play action and, and get by. Um, but I love the Captain Kirk call. Uh, Captain Kirk, can you save me? But uh, a lot of people are going to have Breeze. Um, New Orleans is a running team now. I, I'm not sure if people realize that. So um, if you look like the last three or four weeks, I think Breeze has only had one 300-yard game. Um, I love the idea of, of, of Kirk. Yeah, it's a bit of a leverage play. And you can load up that game. You could, you know, if you make a couple Kirk lineups, you could have one with Ingram, another one with Kamara, throw Michael Thomas in. Uh, and then the guy that I'm pairing Kirk with, everyone is on Crowder. I got a little bit of Crowder, uh, but Josh Doxson is the guy. I, I just, you know, he's got that big game-breaking ability. He's good with the air yards. So that's where I'm going there. Maul, we're moving on to the running back position. Well, I'll just piggyback right off where you were with Kirk Cousins and start in the middle where, with Chris Thompson. You can pair him up with Cousins, too. Um, you know, he's going to be a threat out of the backfield tomorrow. Kelly's gone. Um, they're just signing people off the street. So it's him and um, Samaj Perine tomorrow. I love him. I have him all over the place. And uh, he's 5,400. Now, if you go back up top, I think Kareem Hunt and uh, Melvin Gordon are, are pretty much must plays in my eyes. Um, moving down, I think around just under 5,000, you can almost throw a dart and play any of those guys. Um, Williams for Green Bay, Dark Wah, um will have the lowest ownership. You might be able to sneak him in. I like uh, Drake for Miami. I also like James White for New England. So there's one, two, three, four, at least four guys there between 4,700 and 4,900 um, that I think will make value tomorrow and probably can exceed value for you. Yep. I, uh, I'll i start up top with Kareem Hunt coming out of bye, Andy Reid against the Giants. Good chance they're going to be pretty, 
pretty far ahead in this one. He is going to be, they're saying 35, 40% owned because Le'Veon Bell's not on the slate and uh, Gurley is very expensive and not in a great matchup. Uh, but I, I'm planning on being overweight on Kareem Hunt. The other chalky guy is in the low end. It's Rex Burkhead. Burkhead's a guy I've been on all year, got a lot in MFL 10s. But if Rex Burkhead at 3,600 is going to be 30% owned, there's enough inefficiency in his market share that I'm going to be a little underweight on him. And I agree with you. If James White's going to be 5 to 7% owned, I'd rather put 20 on White and 20 on Burkhead than go 40 or 50 on Burkhead and take a chance that it's not, you know, Picking Patriots running backs is like uh, playing ring around the road. You know, what's that game with the chairs? You know, you, you keep taking away the chairs and someone doesn't get a seat. That That's what it's like trying to play Patriots running backs each week. Um, I also think at uh, $3,000, Gio Bernard is an interesting guy to throw into a couple lineups. Um, certainly has the talent. Mixon hasn't been very good. They've been determined to give Mixon the ball the last couple of weeks, but against Denver in Denver at $3,000 with no ownership, a little Gio Bernard. I agree with you on Chris Thompson. Um, and I think another sneaky guy is uh, uh, Jarek McKinnon. The Rams, it's easier to beat them on the ground, even though I like Keenum. Uh, Jarek McKinnon was over like up to 6,700. He's down to 5,700. I think he's interesting. And Doug Martin killed me a couple weeks ago. He's in a great spot, but I'll probably just be even weight on him. Uh, all right, we'll move on to wide receiver. Well, you know, usually we start with a top price guy, but, you know, I'm not just going to throw out a name you know, just to throw out a top price guy because there's nobody at the top that I like. There's nobody that I like until you get down to like 6,900, and that's Larry Fitzgerald. And I only like him a little because, you know, we're on the third quarterback in four weeks, and, you know, he gets the, the and, most And that third quarterback is Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, come on. I, I know Fitzgerald gets uh, the most targets of any human on earth, but – uh, he's a decent price, 6900 so I wouldn't mind throwing him. But my favorite play of the week, um, I mentioned uh, the fat Oakland Raider corners that are slow. I think Brandon Cooks is going to see between seven and ten deep balls tomorrow, um, to be honest. I know that sounds crazy, but uh, as slow as those corners are, I think with the Hogan out, I think they're just going to chuck it to him, and he's going to have a huge day. So he's my top play. I think you can – you know, try to decide between the two Miami receivers, uh, Parker and Landry, but I'd, I'd rather go right below them and take Shepard or Hopkins. I'm also good with Cooper and Tra- Crabtree. So all the guys that I like are really right there, um, upper 5,000, lower 6,000 range. And then my value guy you mentioned earlier, I like Crowder, uh, 4,300. And uh, my buddy Steve threw out one that I'll, I'll give to the listeners uh, Kenny Galladay, he said, is going to score tomorrow, and um, I'm on board with that. So those are my uh, those are my receivers. What do you think, Ty? I, I like I like your uh, your list. Um, my number one wide receiver though is going to be Bruce Ellington. Uh, 
as much as I like Hopkins, Patrick Peterson is no joke, and Will Fuller is out. You also have word that uh, Bill O'Brien says we need to get Bruce Ellington more action. And when you talk about a guy that's, uh, as Adam Levitan likes to say, the stone minimum, uh, who's gotten eight targets each of the last two weeks, and the coach says he wants to get him more involved, um, you know, uh, you don't need much at $3,000 to to pay off this salary. He'll have some ownership, but um, Ellington has talent. It's not like he's just some guy who's getting opportunity. He also does have talent. So, I, I thought about this a lot, and uh, right now I've got him probably 50 to 60% of my lineups. Um, you know, and even if he gives me 8 to 10 points, it really doesn't kill you. Uh, Michael Thomas, uh, because I like Captain Kirk, I got a lot of Michael Thomas bringing him back. Uh, Mike Evans, I do like up at 7,900. Some, I think, Fitz has a tendency to focus in on that one guy. Uh, I like Stefan Diggs this week. Last week, I was all over Thielen this week. I think Diggs has the better matchup. On the lower end, you've got Jeremy Macklin at 4,600, who's interesting. Um, let's see. Oh, and one other really low-priced guy that I think is worth putting in some lineups. Uh, he's got a good matchup, uh, $3,600. Tyrell Williams has the talent. And on any given week, he could be the guy there. So I, I like Tyrell as well. Uh, thoughts, Mahler, or just get us going on tight end? Mahler? Oh, oh yeah, I'm here. I, I was just I was just on mute, so I didn't interrupt you. But uh, I love the Benny call at the beginning with, with Fuller out. Hopkins is going to be you know, against Peterson, um, you know, my ego in fantasy. So, um, I trust you more than anybody. So I'm going to start putting him in my lineups, uh, immediately because, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't even think of him, you know, Houston's probably going to have to throw 30 times. Hopkins going to be locked up. So, um, that's a great call that I didn't think of. So, um, we're going to pass that along and I'll, you know, try to get up to 40% ownership probably on him the rest of the way. So, um, you know, at least if it goes bad. I hope it works playing, out right? or I'm going to feel guilty. Yeah, yeah that's, right. that's why we come back next Saturday. So I, I also like Amari next... Cooper this week, by the way. I, I mean, yeah, for my Brady, and... for, for my, I, I like him more than Crabtree this week. I, I want to like Jared Cook, but 4,800. We're going to get to tight ends in a second. But I, I do think that that uh, Raiders-Patriots game, as well as the game in New Orleans, both have as much chance to shoot out as the Giants and the and the uh, Chiefs do. Yeah, yeah, those are going to be the three games that I'm really focusing on tomorrow, though, and Melvin Gordon. I just I'm in love with Melvin Gordon as well tomorrow. I'm not, not going to yeah. play Melvin, and I I, I just. <sighs> I, I I always he's one of these guys I always get wrong. Yeah, me so too. So if you're if I'm, you're playing Melvin Gordon and I'm not, you you, you could you you should pay me to continue to not play Melvin Gordon. Yeah, but I have the same uh, 
you know, stone powers with him that you do. So I'm just guessing you're doing right and I'm doing wrong, but I got to take my lumps as I usually do. <laughs> All right. Off to the tight end position where there's, there's some really intriguing plays this week. Well, I mean, do we have to say Kelsey against the Giants is, I mean, if Gronkowski wasn't right behind him against Oakland um, and Ingram, you know, a thousand dollar discount between them, Kelsey may have hundred percent ownership. I mean, a tight end is scored against the Giants every week. Uh, Kansas City's coming off a bye. Um, I mean, the Giants are so terrible against the tight end. The perfect recipe for me to play 100% Kelsey and him end up with seven points. But he's my top play. Gronk right behind him. Ingram right behind him, as I said. You mentioned uh, Jarrett Cook. I do like him, but I think 4,800 is a bit too much, as you said. Um, If I'm paying that, I'm looking probably 600 cheaper at Cameron Brait. But if I'm looking at value, um, you know, saving 5000 off those top guys, I'm playing Mercedes Lewis at $2,700. Um, the wind is supposed to be bad in Cleveland, blah, blah, blah. But that's when you do go to the tight end. Lots of check downs. I'm happy with five catches for 35 yards, eight and a half points at $2,700. If all of my other guys, you know, make value, so... Yeah, it's it's definitely an intriguing play. Um, in fact, I'm going to put some in because uh, I had a couple Ben Watson shares, and I think I'm going to turn my Watson shares into uh, Lewis shares. So, yeah, Gronk and Kelsey. And what's interesting to me is I'm hearing a lot of the experts talk about liking Gronk more than Kelsey. And I think you can play them both together in a lineup. And I've done that on a couple lineups, uh, you know, as a way to differentiate yourself with ownership on the two of them. Um, I like Kelsey more. Um, I understand why some people would like Gronk more, but, uh, you know, I, I, I just, you know, you get one of the two best tight ends in the game against the worst team covering tight ends. And, and I don't know how you pass on that. Um, uh, Sterling Shepard is been is sick, and there and, and is now questionable to play. If he somehow misses the game, I like Evan Ingram less. And I was on a Slack chat with some people, and they were like less. I go, yeah. I, I mean, the Giants need to be somewhat functional as an offense, and to be able to hold on to the ball. And they need both of these weapons, and there's plenty of room for both of them to succeed. I like Engram more than Shepard this week if they both play, but I like Engram less if Shepard doesn't play. My other tight end that I really like uh, goes with Captain Kirk. It's Vernon Davis. The man looks like he did 10 years ago. He's spry. He's playing well. He's going to be in a dome. Um, I, you know, I, I know the saints have been much better against tight ends this year, but, uh, you know, Kirk and, uh, Davis have been beating pretty much everyone. I like him a lot and my value tight end. The one that I like the most is Tyler Croft, 2,900. Uh, the way to beat the Broncos is with the tight end. If you're passing, and, you know, again, for 2,900, if he catches four or five balls for 50 yards, 
you know, and, and accidentally trips and falls into the end zone once you're happy. On to defense, Mauler. Well, love the Jags up top. Um, I feel stupid paying 4000 for a defense, but uh, I might be all in with them as long as, you know, it doesn't uh, take away from the players that I want to get in. Uh, you say 400 you can go down and take the Lions at Chicago. Um, I think that's a decent play. If you're looking to save money, um, I actually like the Browns against the Jaguars. Like I said, 40-mile-an-hour wins could be a low-scoring game. Uh, you could get, uh, you know, maybe low double digits out of a Browns defense for 2300 Call me crazy, but, uh, you know, we were the first ones on the Jets defense many, many weeks ago. And like that week, um, I agree with you. The Browns are my low-priced defense. Um, I think that you're dealing with a team that, you know, the weather's going to be bad. And the last thing that Blake Bortles needs is for his balls to, to wobble more than they already do. Um, I love the Jaguars oh, can, up oh, top. Can you say that again for all the listeners? No, thank you. Um, but uh, his passes don't need to wobble any more than they do. How about that? That sounds a lot better. And but we then, can't go back and edit it out since we're live. So No, uh, and, and I wouldn't anyway because I just don't care. Uh, but uh, my favorite defense of the week is the Ravens. Uh, you know, a lot of times teams coming off a bye, people forget about them. The Ravens are right there with the Jaguars as far as the best defense in the league. They 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 score a lot of points. Hundley looked better last week, but um, if you can tell me that I can get the Ravens defense at three to four percent owned, or and I don't think they'll be that low. I'm looking at this number. But if I can get the Ravens at half the ownership and save $600 against Hundley, um, you know, I, right now I've got uh, about 30% Ravens, 23% Jags. Um, and I also have some Kansas City Chiefs. I think that, you know, the Giants offensive line's not good. And, you know, Eli might decide to throw a, a couple lefty passes and, um, I think the Chiefs are another defense that's going to be pretty low owned. That uh, that's a nice pivot. So that's going to do it for this segment with the Mauler. Mauler, I thought you had some really great picks this week, and I wish you luck in your games. And hopefully next week we're rejoicing, and hopefully some of our listeners are rejoicing with us. All right, brother. I will see you next Saturday. Have a good week and uh, good luck tomorrow. Yep, you too. All right, folks, that was the Motown Mauler, and uh, now it's time to get the doctor in. I need you to soothe my head, turn my blue to red. Doctor, doctor, give me the news, I got it. Please welcome to the show once again, Dr. Jeffrey Budoff. Doc, how are you doing this week? Great, Todd. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. All right. So I screwed that up. I forgot to take the metronome out. Uh, let's see if I can quickly redo this <coughs> um, file and get it 
just give me a second and I'm going to try and redo this file. And uh, nice little screw up, but uh, I think I have one pretty much every week. It's uh, it's a lot to do everything that I got going on in life. And, uh, you know, now I'm just filling air, but um, I'm going to play a little music for a second. Hang in there with us and uh, we'll be right back with uh, the doc.
please welcome to the show once again, Dr. Jeffrey Budoff. Doc, how are you doing this week? Great, Todd. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. So a uh, lot, a lot of injury news this week, and uh, some of it happened after uh, after we did our notes. But uh, let's start talking about Aaron Rodgers. I know a lot of people in fantasy are wondering: Is he going to come back at the end of the season in time for fantasy football? And if so, can you trust him? So, what are your thoughts on uh, the latest news about Aaron Rodgers? Well. He's four weeks post-op, and he's already taking snaps, uh, which, you know, is pretty jarring on a fracture. But he had two plates put in. Uh, I do that sometimes, but usually standard of care is one plate. But the two plates is more rigidity. You put them at right angles to each other, so it's like an I-beam in construction. There, it's really a strong construct, and obviously it's working for him. At four weeks, he has early healing plus the two plates. I mean, technically, medically, he could probably return in two weeks. Now he's on IR. He's not eligible until week 15, but he could get him, come back before. So if Green Bay is still in the playoff race, uh, I think he's coming back. And, yeah, I think you can trust him again. I think medically he can come back in week 13. Now, they play over the next four weeks while he has to be out. Uh, they're playing Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, and Cleveland. They can easily, I hope, go uh, two and two. So they could be seven and six. The NFC playoff race is tough, but they should still be in the hunt. So I already picked him up in two out of my four leagues where he was available. Um, he doesn't have a great schedule. Plays Carolina on the road week 15 and Minnesota at home week 16. But he is Aaron Rodgers. And if need QB hope, help for the uh, playoffs, not a bad way to go. No. Um, he is a difference maker, and if you can somehow find him on waivers or angle a trade for him in fantasy, I, I think you're you're doing pretty good. Um, you know, Hundley played better last week, but he's got a game against the Baltimore Ravens that's no picnic this week. Um, yeah, I think the, the bigger question is, are they going to be in the playoff hunt or not? Um, they also lost uh, the running back, uh, the rookie who had been playing very well, Aaron Jones. Uh, what can you tell us about his injury? Well, he's got a medial collateral ligament sprain of his knee, and he's out right now. The timeline we've been given is three to six weeks. Normally for a grade two, it's two to four weeks. For a grade three, it's 48 weeks. Obviously, those are a spectrum but basically, it's a bad two or a mild three. Uh, two is a partial tear, which is anywhere from 1% torn to 99% torn. So, I mean, it gives you very little information. <laughs> yeah, three that's is a, a pretty big range. It kind of is, yeah. So, remember, these aren't made for fantasy football players. They're just medical things that have come about. Mild or a mild total tear. So, it's pretty significant. In other words, it's over half torn is what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way. Uh, it's going to take him a while to get back, tough for him to cut. Uh, obviously, I'm not sure how torn it is, but, I mean, he's out until the playoffs at least. And will you trust him the first week back, say in four weeks, which would be your playoffs? be kind of hard. I don't think he'll be cutting real hard at that point. They probably won't be putting him in for a full workload of snaps. Ty Montgomery should be back by then. 
Jamal Williams will be in there. So it could really be a mess. So I, I don't think he's a must-hold unless you think he's uber-talented. Yeah, well, uh, you got Ty Montgomery coming back, and I'm still not convinced the reason they played Jones so much was because Montgomery was dealing with that rib injury. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the whole situation is a mess. I own a lot of Jamal Williams in best ball, but he has not looked good so far. Um, this one's off our radar. Um, I mentioned that there was some news since we did the notes for the show, but I know you're pretty familiar with this one. Danny Woodhead coming back this week. It was just announced. Um, I mean, he's been out since week one with a hamstring injury. He's an older running back. I mean, can you trust Danny Woodhead this week? Well, I picked him up in one league. Uh, I have him on my bench. I'm really in wait-and-see mode. Uh, they say Alex Collins will be the lead running back, which probably just means the first down starter. I'm not sure how much that means. Uh, Woodhead, he's 32, but medically it's not that old. I mean, it's been 10 weeks. Now, even a total tear, you know, a grade three tear is usually an eight-week recovery. And again, he's at 10 weeks. So, I mean, there's obviously a high recurrence rate, but he certainly had enough time off. Nobody will accuse Baltimore of rushing this guy back. I think he should be okay. I mean, I haven't examined him, obviously, but he should be okay. I'm sure they'll probably ease him in, I think, unless they really need to, uh, you know, they really need him. But, uh, again, they're playing Green Bay, right? So, I mean, that's not really such a prolific offense. Baltimore's got a great defense, so I think they'll be in the game. I think I would expect a fair amount of Alex Collins, and they're they're probably just going to see how Woodhead deals with game action this week. That would be my guess, and then probably ramp him up going forward. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's an interesting DFS play for very, very little uh exposure but you know uh, a lot of people are talking of Doug Martin and Doug Martin is you know he just hasn't been good and and Woodhead's the same price <clears throat> if you you know if you get 10-15% ownership on Martin uh and I'm not sure you will but uh Woodhead is basically the same price uh, on to our next player Jordan Reed again is out this week <clears throat> And he really hasn't played much this year, and when he has, he hasn't been very effective. He's had that uh, lingering toe issue, which I, I think still think is probably what's keeping his performance down. Uh, it, 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 it was left over from last year, but now he's got hamstring. Why don't you talk about the walking wounded life of uh, Jordan Reed and whether you think we can really expect much out of him the rest of the way? Yeah, well, unlike some, uh, I do believe some players are injury-prone, and uh, Jordan Reed would be exhibit A for the defense. You know, I wish I could give credit for the guy who said this on Twitter. I uh, said it's like Lucy with the football, and Charlie Brown tries to kick him, and you see the high upside, and you go, and you run at it, and you go, I'm going to kick this ball, you know, a 1,000 miles, and you just it's always you wind up flat on your back when she pulls the ball. I mean, I never draft him. Maybe I'm conservative. I mean, not even an MFL 10s. He would need to be pretty cheap for me to draft him. You know, he's had five known concussions. His risk of concussion is very high because each one makes it easier to get the next one, and then they knock you out for longer. Now he's got a hamstring, which has been a problem of his for years. 
you know, in a hamstring tear, sort of like Danny Woodhead uh, going forward, if we were going to, you know, he was going to be a young guy playing over the next few years. When you get a bad tear, it heals with scar tissue, which is only about 50% as strong as a normal hamstring. So you always have that area of weakness that can be a problem in future years. Um, he's had, you know, so Jordan Reed clearly has that issue. He's had medial collateral ligament sprains, foot fractures, uh, grade three AC joint dislocation. Uh, I mean, he's had the gamut. Um, you know, five concussions alone would end most careers. So he's at high risk. I don't know if he'll come back. If he does, he's obviously at high risk of injury. I, you know, I mean, if you already own him, I'd hold him in case he gets healthy for the playoffs. But, you know, next year, unless he's real cheap, I will not be drafting him. Yeah, the, it kind of kills me because the one year that he paid off, he, he was available in the 13th round all year in best ball. And I really liked him and uh, I didn't draft him. So um, I, I, I won't say I chased it a lot this year, but I took a few uh, you know, as he started falling into the late fourth, early fifth, I, I, I got some exposure to him. Uh, but where I drafted him in the uh, Scott Fishbowl, I also drafted Vernon Davis. And uh, I'm not a big one for handcuffing, but as you say, some guys are just, you know, injury prone and they have a huge upside and, you know, Vernon Davis is the rare handcuff where you can really trust that you're going to get good performance if Reed's out. He's the classic tight end handcuff. <laughs> uh, the last guy we're going to talk about today is Teddy Ballgame, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, all you old Ted Williams fans can yell at me. I know that's who Teddy Ballgame was. Um, but Ted Bridgewater... Uh, was very emotional on the sidelines last week uh, about coming back from his injury. Can you recap the severity of that knee injury again and what kind of prognosis you think? I mean, he, he doesn't see, he seems to have had a real clean recovery uh, with the timeline that he's came back, considering all the things that were wrong with his knee. Yeah, sure. Uh, he had a knee dislocation on August 30th, 2016. He had multiple ligament reconstruction, probably the anterior and the posterior crucial ligaments, maybe collateral. You know, these are extremely severe injuries. They almost always have some degree of cartilage injury, sort of like Sam Bradford had and had trouble with it. So, I mean, his longevity is affected. Um, and as you know from Sam Bradford, that's limited repetitions and game time. This injury is so severe that only 22% of competitive athletes ever return to sports. Of those that do, 68% have difficulty running, 70% have problems squatting, 40% have problems with notable swelling, and 42% have difficulty ascending stairs. Now, no patient study, and this is not NFL athletes. This is I, 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 know the, athletes. I know that women don't like when I stare. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, none of these uh, players ever reached the same level of function as they had before the injury. Now, Teddy Bridgewater is a professional athlete. He has a better constitution, higher motivation, and he has no other job. So he has all the time that we would, you know, go to work and then do our day job. He has all that to do this intense rehab. So he has many advantages over the average 
person or average competitive athlete. So I would expect him, therefore, to do better than average. Having said that, he still is a human being, and he will still suffer effects from this. Uh, the knee will be stiff. He won't be able to bend deeply. If he's forced back onto it, as you see sometimes during a football game, that could easily tear some scar and knock him out of a game. Uh, I remember him, and my Alzheimer's probably kicked in, but I remember it was being fairly mobile. Uh, I don't think he will be fairly mobile, uh, certainly not over long distances, and he'll do less scrambling and less running. The knee will be weaker. He'll be less explosive. Able, less able to tolerate rapid changes of direction, such as cutting and eluding pass rushers. You know, if he was a running back, wide receiver, tight end, or probably defensive player, his career would be over. So I, I've heard his passing is real good, and he will probably just come back as a pocket passer. Yeah, and I do think that affects his upside because, you know, coming out, he was dinged for not being that accurate, and they definitely hid him year one. He had a high completion percentage, and everyone got all excited. But they really, when North Turner was there, they really were doing a lot of bubble screens and, you know, little things. He really wasn't passing down the field. So, uh, you know, between Sam Bradford and Bridgewater, lots of questions going forward for the Vikings. Uh, Case Keenum had a big week last week, and but he's been told that he's on a short leash. So that pretty much wraps it up, Doc, unless you got something else. That's about it. Thanks so much. All right. That was Dr. Jeffrey Budoff, everyone. Thanks, Doc. Thank you. All right. We're back. Thanks for putting up with uh, the lousy segue. Every time I, I, I tape an episode, I, I put it in GarageBand so that I can upload it. Uh, turn it into an mp3 and you got to remember to turn off the metronome sound and i didn't so thank goodness i've gotten better at uh, you know cutting these and pasting them pretty quickly so uh, we were able to get the dock without the metronome sound so that's good and that will get us into our numbers segment this week i'm great todd how are you i'm good and people can find you at wispy the kid on twitter correct correct so you use the rotoviz screener this week um you know i i think this is a pretty interesting subject why don't you tell the people what we're going to be going over so in the preseason, I sent out a tweet uh, discussing rookie running back usage since 2000. Um, I did, uh, in order to find the stat, I actually used, the, as he mentioned, the Rotovis screener to look back over all first-year running backs. And I wanted to see um, how many of them got 50% of the running or the rush attempt workload, which is somewhat arbitrary of a point, but it was kind of just the players that are going to see the majority of the rush attempts for their team. And since this was such a touted um, rookie class, um, I started to know, I wanted to look at the trend and see how frequently did running backs really just come right into the league and take over the full role. And it was a lot less than I expected. Um, 
since 2000, there have only been 30 rookie running backs to have at least 50% of their team's rush attempts. And, I, I mean, coming into the year, we were pretty casually saying, oh, yeah, there will be four. Four of these guys will do it. Um, and that's what well, I kind of started. 30 I had some out issues of, with it. Yeah, 30 out of 529. I mean, I'm not that good at math, but I think that works out to almost zero, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, it comes down to basically – you're going to get two per year-ish. Um, and and that's just going base 30 over the 17-year period. You're getting like 1.7-ish um, per year. So when we're getting the – when someone's saying, oh, yeah, we're definitely going to have four, it, it didn't ever make sense. And I, I had a – this is actually one of my more uh, active comments I or tweets I had over the summer because so many people came out in droves to just say, I was crazy for thinking that Joe Mixon wasn't going to immediately be 50% or that Leonard Fournette wasn't going to be 50%. And there's a lot of factors that go into it, and people are kind of, would really be surprised when you start to see the names of the people who weren't in that range. And yeah, I, so then, I, was, I was looking at your list, and there's some big names, big early first-round picks who didn't, who didn't make the 50% threshold. Yeah, and so I, I ended up uh, – Sigmund Bloom called me out because he didn't like my tweet because he thought it was misleading because in the same way that it's – it wasn't a direct percentage was what I was trying to show because if you're doing 30 out of 529, of course, because that's including undrafted free agents, including uh, seventh-round picks. Um, so I lowered it down to first and second-round picks, and even then it's 23 out of 82. It's still in that same – there's about one to two per year. So it still didn't. Yeah, that doesn't change. <laughs> you know, um, the, th- the, the five hundred and six million doesn't changes, but the the thirty is consistent. Yeah. So he wanted to prove that I was kind of misleading in saying that it's this percentage, and I was never trying to show it as that. But so then, like you said, I made a list of the top twenty players who missed out on the fifty percent market share. Tops on the list that came close was Adrian Peterson. Melvin Gordon came up short his rookie year. Um, uh, Amir Abdullah was short. LaShawn McCoy, Ryan Matthews, Steven Jackson. And those are just in the top 20, and that's leaving off names like Beanie Wells, Ronnie Brown, who aren't as relevant. But then you've also got guys like Maurice Jones-Drew didn't. D'Angelo Williams didn't see it. Mark Ingram didn't see it. Darren McFadden, Carlos Hyde. Ray Rice, Sean Alexander, Larry Johnson, these are huge-name guys that were expected to get the workload right away, and none of them broke 50%. So that's why I think it's important when we try and do these projections of rookies that, yeah, it might be the easiest position to translate from college to pro, or that's always the, the thing people say to try and say, well, rookies are just going to jump in. And I do think that there's probably more of a – it takes longer for them to fully take over the job. And that's well, something I think that – Like you as, were talking, yeah. you know, Larry Johnson was a big name, but he had this guy, Priest Holmes, ahead of him. Uh, you know, sometimes, <laughs> you know, early round running backs are behind someone. And – but I think your point – if I if I'm if I'm getting it right was 
look, if you think that there's going to be four this year that are no-brainers, there's no guarantee that that's going to be the case. Yeah, and I I mean, the thing people don't like to factor into this, and it's it's the harsh reality is, a lot of these players have never played 16 games in a season, so they're going to get some injuries. We'll come to that in some of these other ones. Um, some of the guys won't get the job right away, and that will slow them down. Um, and, and there's just a whole amount of reasons that go into it. There's so many variables as to what really decides who, what type of workload they're going to get. And it does seem like people are quick to just say, oh, well, Joe Mixon was drafted in the second round. Of course, they're going to give him the full workload. Um, Leonard Fournette was taken uh, top five. You know that means he's going to be used exactly the same as Ezekiel Elliott his first year. Um, And it ends up not being really how people like to play it out in the theoretical. Well, there's a lot of factors, as you say. Um, Do you have the average – in general, of what a starting running back percentage is, I, I would think I it's, uh, it, it, at this point it's not much more than 60 or 65. I, I think you're right in that range. I don't have the number offhand. I, it's probably something I should have looked up uh, yesterday, but life gets in the way, unfortunately. Uh, hey, this, this is yeah, a I mean, very I small do. show, so uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone will notice. I know when we're doing our projections, you tend to see – um, that running back one, when we're using the projection machine for it, we're tending to give that about a 50% workload to the top guys who are, who have some level of competition. I know with like um, Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, it's usually like a 50 and like 35 is about how we split it between the two of them um, with then the rest of the carries going elsewhere. And then, but with the like truly elite guys, with the top tier guys, we are tending to put them a little over 60, between 60 and 70%. I would venture to say that Ezekiel Elliott in our preseason projection before the suspension, we probably were putting him around that 75% of the workload. Wow. So, I mean, uh, so what, that's what, what I just. What, what do you project his workload will be the rest of the season? <laughs> um, what is two games out of one? <laughs> Not a lot. Not Sorry, great. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Well, and, and I think that's kind of the thing. There's a lot of factors that go into this workload, and that's kind of been something that I was nitpicking on over the summer. Is there were a lot of people who were just really quick to say that oh, well, this is this great class. Of course, you you should treat all of them like superstars right away. I mean, you did as many – or you did way more MFL 10s than me. Dalvin Cook was, what, early third-round pick by the end of it? Uh, you, Leonard a Fournette. lot of drafts, fourth, fifth round. I could yeah. look that up. I actually have that kind of handy-dandy here. Hold on. <laughs> Um, I mean, Mr. I know there was a stretch. I, I, I think it's a changing at Todd from PA to Mr. Best Ball. Um, <laughs> I like it. Dalvin, Dalvin's ADP was 44 overall. So, okay, so early fourth so round. So fourth, mid-fourth mid round. Fourth. But there were times that he was higher. Uh, what what kind of killed him was his landing spot because he had both McKinnon and 
Latavius Murray and there was concern that, uh, you know, Murray would start the season and they would work Cook in. Yeah. And so. Sorry, I got a joke. I, we'll just, you have a joke. I'm sorry. I, I, I got I like a joke. Jokes. What, what happens when you combine a first round running back with sex for an education? <laughs> I like it. All right. But I'm, uh, hold on. Do we have a <laughs> bum bum? I don't think I have a bum bum. Go on. So, so then, so then after I, uh, now that we actually have a little bit of a sample size for these players, I decided to um, take a look at who are the top five in market share of running backs among this rookie class. Joe Mixon, or I'm sorry, the top five. Oh, wait, who hold are on, hold on. In- it's a little late, but my joke deserved a. <laughs> so our top five. Sorry, Matt. Go on. <laughs> you're good. Uh, is Kareem Hunt at 70%. Joe Mixon actually has climbed over 50. He's at 53%. Fournette's at 48%. Aaron Jones is at 33 But he's been out for three weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Leonard Fournette one factors that in. This isn't actually on a per-game basis. This is on oh, season total. So he, him starting to slip is factored right, in to that number. Games, right. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Jones at 33, that's I mean, I, that's not going to get to 50. And then Samaj P. Ryan's at 28. Uh, so all those numbers point to, yes, this was a good class. We may get three. Uh, it's hard to say. There's no way Kareem Hunt's really falling below 50. Joe Mixon kind of looks like he's on the rise at this point. Um, and then Leonard Fournette, he's actually the one I'm most questionable about getting to 50%. And he was my lock in the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So then let's, I I went from there. I decided to pull some numbers on all the players based on rush attempts, yards, touchdowns, um, and then then the receiving work. Before you get to that, I'm going to jump in for a second again. Um, Of the top one, two, three, four, five, six, Seven. Now, obviously, not every running back is playing on the main slate on DraftKings tomorrow, but of the top seven priced running backs tomorrow, three of them are rookies. So that's just another way to show how impressive these guys have been. Yeah, and I mean, and on the, the guys not on that list are, I mean, Kamara might, for me, Kamara might be the most impressive of this entire bunch. And he's not anywhere near that type of workload. Um, right. And if uh, what's-his-name hadn't gotten cook, uh, cooked, if Cook hadn't gotten cooked, um, he, he would he'd be, definitely he'd be, up, be there. up there by now, too. I mean, he was dominating. Yes. And I, I'll, I'll actually – I did pull his market share numbers over that stretch. Um, let's actually start with Cook since he's the injured one. Um, since I did pull – for all the per game numbers, I actually then went and wanted to see how Cook was doing prior to the injury. And through, I believe it was four weeks, uh, when it, before he got hurt, I pulled his numbers, and he had actually he had 62% of his team's share of rush attempts, which was actually it included the game where he got hurt. So even that number's probably on the low end of what he'd been doing. And uh, he was on the season, he was third in per game. Tar, third in per game rushing yards and uh, I believe third in 
touchdowns as well. Dalvin Cook looked really good. Um, yes, he so, did. And he was getting a similar target level to Kareem Hunt uh, with a little less efficiency in turning them into yards. Um, and you and do then, need a little bit of luck. I mean, Hunt is obviously on this list, but if Spencer Ware hadn't have gone down, uh, there's a very good chance his workload is much less. Oh, it's absolutely not 70% of Spencer Ware's healthy. Every report that was coming out, even though, like, Kareem Hunt, I've had this argument with people, um, Kareem Hunt did get glowing camp reports. I'm not going to deny that. But all in those exact same camp reports, it said, but Spencer Ware is still the starter. Um, Kareem Hunt was great. He got, I don't want to say lucked into a starting job, but he got a starting job given to him because of, other circumstances. So right. he's one which of those goes guys back that... to, Which goes back to the original point you were making about how and why so many of these guys, even ones who turn out to be really good running backs, and that's the reason I mentioned this, is if uh, if there wasn't the injury, you know, Hunt might turn into a Hall of Fame running back, but he'd be on that list right next to Adrian Peterson and some of the other guys who didn't make it. Absolutely. Um, and so, so then I went and I continue, I, like I said, I pulled out the per game numbers for all of the players. The leader of the bunch in rush attempts is Leonard Fournette, which is sort of crazy because there is, he, like that he wasn't not over 50%, but he is leading this entire group in rush attempts at 21 attempts per game, which is kind of just showing the difference in scheme for a lot of these teams that even if he is at 21, that's still only 48% of the teams. And uh, and he's as we mentioned, he's already missed time due to injury. He missed time in college due to injury. That was ankle stuff. So I, I would say that of this, the top three in market share, he's probably the one I'm least likely to say is going to get there. I actually – Despite my initial hesitance, I think Joe Mixon is going to stay over 50%. As I said, Kareem Hunt, barring getting injured on his first attempt tomorrow, is unlikely to drop below 50. And then um, the, the rest of the bunch doesn't really have a chance. No, no. And so let's get to the uh, the guy in this class that's making best ball people a lot of money and people who drafted early probably a lot of money. That's Kareem Hunt. And like I said, he's got 70% market share of his team's rush attempts. He's uh, he's got 17.2 carries per game, which is third in the class behind uh, Cook and Fournette. And his 4.1 targets is actually only behind um, Kamara and Christian McCaffrey in workload of the top running backs. I didn't actually pull the full rookie class, so I can't say with complete certainty it's third in, third in the class, but he's done a good job turning that into um, touchdowns and yards. He's averaging about 110 y- or 120 yards per game, and I mean, there's a reason he's sitting up at the top of most running backs, running back ones on the year. He's He's been really good. I didn't I didn't believe in him as much as some people, like Scott Barrett, obviously. This was his guy. Um, uh, but who, yeah. Hunt? 
yeah, Hunt was – this was Scott Barrett's guy in the entire class. And yeah, I, I think I remember that. All right, we got about three, four minutes, so why don't you just uh, run through uh, Mixon, McCaffrey, and Kamara, some of the, the, the facts that you pulled on them, and uh, I won't interrupt. All right, so Joe Mixon is at 53% market share. Like I said, that's unlikely to take a hit because the one guy who had, for some ungodly reason, been starting, Jeremy Hill, is on IR. The guy they signed to kind of take his role was Brian Hill, who, while I do love him as a player, he's not really a threat to take the ball off Mixon because there's no real investment in him. He's averaging 11.9 attempts per game, but that's slightly skewed because of the early games. Um, and he's turned that into about 35.7 yards per game again, slightly skewed based on the early games. Um, but either way, his bad efficiency is probably largely tied to the um, offensive line play. And I think he's, in most situations, he's going to be a spot start in DFS, and he's a better dynasty ad than he is a season-long guy. Um, McCaffrey, he's got the lowest workload when it comes to rush attempts per game, averaging only 6.9, but his usage is largely driven in the passing game. He leads the class. He's averaging almost eight targets per game, which is pretty he impressive. The whole NFL. Yeah. I mean, he's he's definitely got value in, in PPR. In running league. back uh, targets, that is. Yeah. So I lied. McCaffrey I, is another I, guy. I interrupted. Oh, you're good. Uh, I actually like him a little more for se- this season than I do Mixon just because I think his workload is able to avoid some of the offensive deficiencies. Um, and then lastly, Kamara. As I said, he might be the most impressive guy in this entire class. His usage has been relatively similar to Christian McCaffrey, but unlike Carolina, um, Sean Payton in New Orleans has been kind of a little more likely to use a hot hand approach. I know there was the one game, it was two weeks ago, where he pretty much was leading the team, and that was largely just because any time he touched the ball, he was scoring, which made it hard for Ingram to get on the field. But and that has gone up a ton since the AP trade. Uh, for me, he's probably passed Christian McCaffrey in dynasty value, which is weird to say. And I'd say if you're in season long, he's probably third in the class in value for the rest of the season. If you haven't hit your trade deadline or if you're um, looking for a guy that might be somewhat acquirable, he's a guy that's probably still undervalued in most formats. Yeah, I I loved Kamara after I saw him in the preseason and the way they had talked him up. Uh, Mixon, I have not been impressed with. I know part of it is the offensive line, but he he just ain't doing it for me uh, watching him play. Uh, McCaffrey, you know, he hasn't been great as a running back, but he's he's Reggie Bush right now. He you know like how Reggie Bush was as a as a rookie. And uh, overall, though, this class has been pretty dominant. And um, coming out, they said it was a class of uh, really good running backs and tight ends. And uh, I think these guys have come as advertised. Oh, yeah. I, I My initial tweet is sort of proving wrong because this class is pro- is getting the workload. It's just I didn't feel like the projections were fair and – I'm going to maybe be right, but I don't necessarily think my initial reasoning was right. 
Um, I think that is true. And uh, I thought this was an outstanding conversation uh, based on a wayward tweet that you had during the summer. (laughs) Hey, that's my best, my best work. That was your best work too. The the most tweeted, uh, most tweeted thing you did, but no, Hey, look, I, I, you know, I love that you went out and took a stand on this. I think a lot of times, uh, it's important and something we do a lot at Rotoviz is challenge assumptions. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes you challenge assumptions and you're wrong, but uh, often, quite often you're right. And it's a great way to be contrarian and to get some uh, extra value in fantasy football. Don't you agree? Agreed. hundred percent. All right. That was Matt Wispy. Matt, an excellent, um, excellent segment and uh, really enjoyed you putting up with my humor. I mean, I really enjoyed the segment and I'm glad that you put up with my humor. Uh, It was a blast. I will talk to you later, my friend. Thanks again. All right. right. Thank you. uh, That means it is time for our cleanup hitter, Dominic Petrillo. Uh, Dom, how are you this week? Doing pretty good, Nick. Tomorrow's a pretty big day for me, so I'm, you know, getting ready for tomorrow. And listening to Matt's segment there, I really liked it. And I think that in the long run, I think Dalvin Cook may turn out to be the best running back out of this whole rookie class. Yep, I, uh, I think there's there's a few running backs who could end up being the best running back out of this class. Um, and one who I don't think will be the best running back out of this class is Joe Mixon. Um, so, uh, you know, Dom, you, either. <laughs> I think it still could be Fournette. Fournette, I mean, he, I mean, he's had some games that were amazing. It's just that they're mixing him in. I mean, they've got Ivory, they've got Yeldon, and, uh, you know, it's so easy to fall in and out of love. Uh, speak, but before we get into your defense segment, Dom, I, you know, we, you and I have joked privately a little bit about how everyone has music and you don't have music. And I've been, you know, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, you can find Dom on Twitter. It's at, at Envision, right, Dom? Correct. Envision FF. Envision FF. And Dom, Dom unfortunately lost his sight. So uh, if you follow my podcast and you listen, you know I like to make jokes. So I would joke, you know, with him about things like, you know, I'll make your theme song Blinded by the Light or, you know, Three Blind Mice. But, you know, I I, I think that's funny. Dom was okay with it um, and has a good sense of humor about it. But I, I am concerned that other people might not find it as funny. Uh but I do think that it's something that we don't ignore. So I, I uploaded a song today uh, f- to finish the show with. And as I was looking at it when I was on earlier, it just struck me that this could really be a good uh, where it's mentioned, but it's not obvious. So I'm going to play it, Dom, and you tell me if you like it. If you do, I will cut it next week for your theme music. How about that? Sounds good. Refugee camp. Conspiracy theory. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? 
this year their defense could be just as good as, you know, in their Super Bowl year 2001 when they just had the dominant defense. And I think that they still can be that way. I think everybody is down on them just because of the one game they had against Jacksonville in London. Other than that, they've been dominant pretty much all year. You know, well, so I think that – You could run on them when Brandon Williams was out, but since he's been back, you can't run or pass on them. Uh, and, and, and Hundley looked a little bit better last week, but not still not great. I, I only watched a couple – I was watching that game before uh, the show – and I, you know, I only watched the first drive, and Hundley almost threw a pick six. So um, he he doesn't seem to have a ton of uh, confidence. So uh, I think it's a great choice, uh, and you're smart enough to have the Jags as your second choice. So what can you tell us about the Jaguars this week? Yeah, the Jaguars. I mean, they're they're playing Cleveland, which is enough incentive, but they're gonna it's gonna be a very very slow, boring, methodical game again with the weather there. Uh, Jacksonville doesn't want to throw the ball as they see with Bortles, even though they may have to. And I have actually have to start Bortles in the league this week. But with you know Cleveland's gonna, if they get down, they're gonna have to throw the ball, which is gonna be good for you because Jacksonville's only given up six passing touchdowns this year, including the two they gave up last week. And when it comes to the rushing, Cleveland's been doing better on the rushing side of the ball, but they're still not good. And Jacksonville is going to try and run the ball with Fournette, but they're saying now he may be limited this week and Cleveland or, is good or against out. the rush. So I, yeah, they're saying either out or he, he even came out and said he wouldn't mind sitting out this game because he doesn't like the cold. So, you know, that's not professional. That's one of the reasons I don't like him. I actually think he's a prima donna. He was like that in college. And I think he's going to be that way in the pros. That's why I think I like Cook ahead of him going forward. But, as for, you know, as for this game, I just think that, it's going to be one of these slow games where there's maybe three or four possessions for each team. If you're lucky per half, maybe six total in the game. So there's not going to be much scoring in this game. And that's why, you know, when you're looking at the the people out there in the desert, the seven and a half for Jacksonville to me seems like it's a little bit too much. Just as I think it's, you're going to be lucky if you get, you know, 25, 30 points scored in this game. So I don't think there are going to be enough points even scored in this game to get a seven and a half point lead. Yeah, my only concern on the Jaguars is um, the the variance on defenses, but Kaiser is, uh, you know, the the only way I see them not getting a lot of uh, problems for Kaiser is if he doesn't pass much. Your third defense is another one of the top defenses on the years. They're pretty expensive this week, the Detroit Lions. Yeah, the Lions, you know, going up against Chicago, who we were talking about Trubisky, and again, we're talking about these. all three of these defenses are going into games where it's going to be affected by the, by the wind and the snow and everything. So, you know, that's big there. Are Chicago the Lions playing the Tigers? Them. Are the Lions playing the Tigers? Well, the Bears have been looking like Tigers. But yeah, I think they're playing either the Lions, Tigers, Oh, or they're Bears. playing the Bears? Oh, no. Sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> But, yeah, they uh, – you know, Trubisky, I think, had, what, 21 completions last week. I think that matched what he had for his, all of his first games combined. So, he's start trying to throw the ball more, but he's not going to be able to do it against with, you know, with Darius Slay out there and everything. They don't have any receivers to throw to, especially now with that disgusting injury to Zach Miller that was terrible to see. You know, Howard's been slowing down lately. Cunningham actually played more snaps than him last week. Cohen's out now. He's, you know, just – he's on the third string now. 
So if they can't get anything going, which, I don't, which they haven't been able to do at home or on the road, and I think their defense is going to be better. I just think, obviously, Stafford's better than Trubisky. He has better weapons. So I just think that their offense is better suited to go up against Chicago, and I just think they're going to shut down Chicago. Yep, that's a, it's a, you know, I don't have any of them for DFS, which means um, if you're playing DFS, they're probably going to go off for three touchdowns. So, um, yeah. Uh, who's next on your list, Dom? Uh, who is next on the list? I don't have it in front oh, yeah. of me. All right, hold um, on. Sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think I accidentally closed the file. Um, uh, welcome, actually, welcome to, yeah. Welcome to the bungles. (laughs) Yeah. I have the Cincinnati bungles. And again, I just took them because of how bad Osweiler's playing. So, you know, there's a, obviously there's a theme here. I'm going against bad quarterbacks, but you know, Osweiler's looking terrible. I know Demarius Thomas is, is a good receiver, but he can't do it by himself. And the pass defense of the Bengals is going to shut them down. I think CJ Anderson as much as I liked him earlier in the year, I had him ranked 14th coming into the season. I think that, you know, right now he's not showing it. He's getting injured all the time. I think Devontae Booker is going to take over the backfield by the end of the year. But I just think it's a, it's a total mess right now. I think going against the Bengals, they're, you know, again, they're not going to be able to do anything. I think between Osweiler and Dalton, I think Dalton's the better quarterback, which is hard to say because he's been terrible this year as well. So I just – I see a little more out of the connection between him and Croft and – A.J. Green than I do between Osweiler and whoever he's going to try and throw it to. So I just like that, you know, the Bengals a little bit better than Denver. I don't think either of them are great, but on offense. So I think either one of these defenses would be a great start. So I just went with the team with the better offense. Yeah, no, I I think that's going to be a really low-owned defense in Daily Fantasy. Uh, You mentioned the Bears. They're going to also be very low-owned. And uh, Dominic's other choices this week's folks are the Kansas City Chiefs, who's uh, who's in my top four, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Los Angeles Chargers, who would be in my Los top Angeles four, Chargers. except yeah, ex- except that they are uh, the chalk this week. So, um, any any final comments on any of these teams, Dom? Yeah, the cheap, the Chargers do seem to be the chalk this week. I actually, they're my favorite one this week as well. But, you know, the Chiefs, they don't seem to do a whole lot uh, great. You know, they're, they're bottom half against the pass and the rush. But I think, obviously, so are the Giants on offense. I think with only Shepard and Ingram out there, I think that, you know, Kansas City can shut them down. And the, as long as they can shut down the rush as well, I think, obviously, they're a ten-and-a-half point road favorite. I do like Kansas City here, but I think out of the my three also rans, I think my favorite one would be the Chargers, which seems like it is for everybody. Only a three thousand dollars. You can't go wrong with, you know, taking them against the first first time starting quarterback with no receivers to throw to and only McCoy gonna be able to do anything on that field. Yep. Dom, I love doing the defenses with you. I think they're one of the most underrated parts of fantasy football. Um, and focusing on them each week with you, I think, is very helpful. However, I am going to give you the opportunity, uh, you know, to take a break next week and to pick another position if you want. It's a one-week That's offer good. because I, I do like doing the defenses, but I want to show you range. Um, 
And so uh, just shoot me an email this week with, uh, you know, if you decide you want to do a different position. But I think that was, uh, I think that's a nice idea to keep things fresh. And as always, I really appreciate it. Still send me a list of defenses if you could, but we'll just jump through them and then we'll focus on uh, the other position that you're uh, looking at. How does that sound? All right. That sounds great. All right, folks, that was was Dominic, and that's going to wrap it up for our show this week. I am going to lead you out with Can't Take My Eyes Off of You by Lauren Hill. Really enjoyed the show tonight. Uh, I feel a little refreshed after the bye, and uh, we're looking forward to hopefully everyone not being able to take their eyes off of the leaderboard tomorrow um, for good reasons and not bad. I hope you guys win some money. Have a nice day. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You be like heaven to touch. I wanna hold you so much. And long last love has arrived. And I thank God I'm alive. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. Caught in the way that I stand. There's nothing else to compare. The sight of you leaves me weak. There are no words that you see, but if you feel like I feel, please let me know that it's real. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. I want you.